PenPod, internal medicine podcasts from the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Hi, this is Beth Malson. It's May 2014, and I'm currently one of the senior residents at Penn. I'm going to be doing two podcasts about mechanical ventilation. This is the first one. In this podcast, we'll talk about the indications for mechanical ventilation and numbers you will see on the mechanical ventilator and how to report them correctly during rounds. The second podcast will be about the two modes of mechanical ventilation we use most frequently in the HUP MICU and basics about how to utilize and adjust them. I'm going to try to translate some of the acronyms and abbreviations you're going to see in the charts, the electronical medical record, as well as notes during this podcast. So mechanical ventilation is done to support breathing when a patient is unable to breathe sufficiently on his or her own. We sometimes talk about the four most common causes to need mechanical ventilation. So these are, in no particular order, number one, mental status. A patient is too sedated or otherwise altered to initiate breaths, takes sufficient or large enough breaths, or is unable to protect his or her airway, which is sometimes indicated by an inability to tolerate its own secretions or a lack of a gag reflex. There are multiple reasons to have a change in mental status, from medication-related to encephalopathy to seizures. Often, these can be corrected after a patient is on a ventilator, but you shouldn't take time trying to correct them if the patient needs intubation. This also refers to patients receiving general anesthesia for surgery. The second reason is work of breathing, which is indicated by the respiratory rate, accessory muscle use, and patient distress. The patient looks like they're going to have respiratory failure in the near future without intervention. The other two main reasons for requiring mechanical ventilation are two things we usually get from an ABG or arterial blood gas. So number three is carbon dioxide. Too much carbon dioxide in the blood affecting the pH, also known as hypercapnia or hypercarbia, can be an indication for intubation. Normal PaCO2, which is the acronym for the partial pressure of arterial carbon dioxide is 35 to 45 for a patient with no underlying lung disease or acid-based disorder. Patients with abnormal underlying lungs, such as those with COPD, may be chronic retainers. Patients with other metabolic abnormalities resulting in an abnormal pH could have different baselines for their PaCO2, which is a topic for another podcast and can be made, make the interpretation of a blood gas more complex. Generally, when the PaCO2 starts to alter the arterial pH, that is a pH less than 7.35 with hypercarbia, also known as a respiratory acidosis, or if the patient's mental status is decreased from baseline, a physician should consider mechanical or non-invasive positive pressure ventilation to lower the PaCO2. Finally, the fourth reason for mechanical ventilation, oxygenation. So this can be measured either on an ABG or by pulse oximetry, either with a finger, forehead, or earlobe monitor. So the normal partial pressure of arterial oxygen, the PaO2, for a person on room air is 75 to 100. This should go up with an increase of the FiO2, or fraction of inspired oxygen. Generally, if you are thinking of using mechanical ventilations or non-invasives such as BiPAP or CPAP, because of low oxygenation, you should get an ABG to make sure that the pulse oximetry is accurate. Signs of inaccuracy could include a patient who has low saturation on the pulse ox monitor but does not appear to be in respiratory distress.
Keep in mind there's many modes of oxygen delivery that can be trialed before a patient requires mechanical ventilation for hypoxia and for work of breathing. Non-invasive mechanical ventilation such as BiPAP can also be trialed for hypercarbia. Of course, many patients have more than one of these four reasons for needing mechanical ventilation. Now that we have a general idea of why patients may be on a mechanical ventilator, I want to switch topics to talk about the numbers you will need to know from the ventilator. Some of these numbers are always set, some can be set depending on the patient and the mode of ventilation, and some are always measured or calculated. To start, all patients will have a frequency or respiratory rate, the number of breaths per minute. This is indicated on the machine and in notes as a lowercase f. This could be different than the, patient, the rate that the patient is actually breathing. You should note both the set frequency and the actual frequency, the rate at the that the patient is actually breathing, when talking about these patients on rounds. Let's say that you set a patient's frequency at 12, but the nurse records a rate of 20 in the flow sheet. This patient is said to be over-breathing. They are taking eight more breaths each minute than the ventilator is set to deliver them. Common causes for over-breathing can include hypercarbia, pain, and anxiety. An important thing to keep in mind is that patients can also overbreathe to keep their carbon dioxide levels below normal to keep pH normal in the setting of a metabolic acidosis. Acid base is obviously a complex topic which has already come up repeatedly in this talk, which is why it's a topic for a separate podcast. So back to frequency. The opposite of overbreathing is underbreathing. This doesn't actually exist in mechanical ventilation with a set frequency, as you are in control and you want your patient to breathe. However, underbreathing can be seen in modes of mechanical ventilation that the patient has to initiate all the breaths. Reasons for a patient to underbreathe in these modes include having a, a PaCO2 lower than what triggers their brain to initiate a breath, oversedation, or paralytics. The frequency, the one you set, and the one the patient is actually breathing should be reported on rounds each day. The set frequency is located in the lower left-hand corner on the monitor on the ventilator. The actual frequency is recorded in the flow sheet on the computer, as well as being seen in the top line on the ventilator. Next, I'll talk about tidal volume. The tidal volume is the amount, in cubic centimeters or milliliters, the patient takes in with each breath. In the ICU, this is denoted a capital V with a small lowercase t on the ventilator and in the notes and flow sheets. This can also be set in certain modes of ventilation, such as volume controls, ventilation such as AC or assist control, which we'll talk about in the next podcast. Like frequency, you can also take larger breaths than programmed by the ventilator, noting that often the extra volume is not actually supported by the ventilator. This is also referred to as overbreathing. There are also certain types of ventilation such as low stretch or lung protective ventilation used in ARDS, which you will want to control the patient's absolute tidal volume. We'll talk about that in another podcast. The tidal volume, again, both the set and the actual volumes the patient is taking, should be reported on rounds in the MICU. The set tidal volume is seen on the ventilator screen in the left lower corner, capital V, small t, while the actual tidal volume, which may be the same or different, is in the top in the right corner. Minute ventilation is a calculated variable. A patient's minute ventilation is the frequency, their respiratory rate, lowercase f, times the average tidal volume. This is the amount of air in milliliters or liters cycled each minute. It can change minute by minute depending on the patient's breathing pattern. The ventilator will report this as V.E, both capitals, and it can be located in the monitor 
on the ventilator at the top line near the upper right-hand corner and is recalculated on the ventilator based on second-to-second -second frequency and tidal volumes. It will also be recorded in the nurse's flow sheet and should be reported on rounds each day. If a patient is not over-breathing, that is, they're taking the set amount of tidal volume that you set and breathing at the frequency that you set, their V.E is exactly what you've set, frequency times tidal volume. However, if the patient is able to initiate extra breaths or over-breathe in terms of volume, a change in the patient's minute ventilation can indicate a change in their clinical status. Next, FiO2, or fraction of inspired oxygen, is the amount of oxygen being inspired with each breath. As you might remember from medical school rotations, room air is 21% oxygen. The usual lowest FiO2 used at HUP on a ventilator is 30 to 40%. This number is set on the ventilator, in the left lower corner usually, and in the nurse's flow sheet. It's always a set number. It should be reported on rounds each day for each mechanically ventilated patient. It's usually set as a percentage, 40%, but can also be set as a real number, such as 0.4. Next, positive end expiratory pressure, or PEEP, is another number you and the rest of the team select for each ventilated patient. It is the amount of pressure exerted on the alveoli at the end of expiration, which helps to prevent alveolar collapse. The quote-unquote default setting for extrinsic PEEP is usually five centimeters of water. Higher PEEP can and should be used to improve a patient's oxygenation, their PaO2. There is also a component of intrinsic PEEP for ventilated patients, which is beyond the scope of this talk, but you may hear talked about by your Mickey Fellow or attending. So there are multiple ways to adjust the ventilator using what I just told you to improve your patient's respiratory status. To think of it simply, the ventilator is a tool you use to make the patient's arterial oxygen and carbon dioxide levels closer to your liking. If you're a beginner, one of the easiest ways to think about this is to remember that increasing the PEEP or the FiO2 will make your arterial oxygen pressure go up, while increasing the frequency or the tidal volume makes the carbon dioxide go down. There are two other measured values that we should talk about which we get from the ventilator. The first one you should be aware of is compliance. The compliance of the lung can be thought about as how flexible the lung is, or conversely, when things aren't so flexible, how stiff the lungs are. Compliance is the change in volume per applied pressure, and therefore units are usually in liters per centimeter of oxygen. I like to think about it as how much the alveoli expand for a given pressure which you are controlling. You don't need to know how to calculate this number. It's going to be reported in the flow sheets on the computer. And you don't need to report the units, but should be aware and report the number itself on rounds, especially with patients with ARDS. The higher the number, the more flexible or compliant the lungs, the lower the number, the more stiff they are. A normal static compliance is 100 for a, a normal adult. If the patient is supine and intubated, it's about 80. All kinds of diseases, such as ARDS, COPD, infections, obesity, etc., can infect the compliance and will be discussed further on rounds. Compliance is a measured value at all times and can be found in the flow sheets on the computer. The second measured value is the plateau pressure, or PLAT, as you may hear it referred to. You should know this for rounds each day. The plateau pressure is a measure taken during an inspiratory pause or hold, when the respiratory tech pauses the ventilator during inspiration and measures the pressure. This indicates the pressure 
at the time of no flow and can be extrapolated to be thought of as the alveolar pressure. We want to make sure that the plateau pressure is not too elevated to avoid volume trauma related to alveolar overdistension and ventilator-associated lung injury. In general, plateau pressures should be maintained at less than 30. You will learn about ways to further adjust the ventilator to avoid high plateau pressures during your rotation, but should just be aware of it and report it on rounds each day. The plateau pressure is measured and can be found in the nursing flow sheets. So that's it for the first mechanical ventilation talk. Please listen to the second talk in which I'll discuss pressure support and assist control ventilation.